Hello, I'm Michelle. And I'm Lucy. Welcome to part two of Tip Toft. Mm-hmm. The Butcher of England. Yeah, I say that so sing-song, but it should be Tipped Toft or something weird. <laughs> Bong. Bong. Dun-dun-dun. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we start, we have some people to thank, which I meant to do in the Caxton episode, and I must admit, I forgot. Okay. And they're our most recent patrons. Wow. So thank you to Mitchell Dutt, Moira Ismay, Jennifer Crouchman, Amanda Chadwick, Katie Ray, Emma Stace, Helen Cousins, Eleanor Davy, oh Lava Petrosky. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, loads. Yeah. And they will get to listen to Machiavelli soon, I hope. Yes, <laughs> yes. Another dun dun dun. Well, you don't know. <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> if we go by just his book, it's dun dun dun. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want to be feared. Thanks. <laughs> I don't think anyone's frightened of me. <laughs> Not me either. <laughs> I'll be very surprised. Oh, dear. <laughs> well, last week we saw Tiptoft being one of the youngest boys at Oxford. Yes. Becoming treasurer. Yes. And pretty much turning around the country's finances. Yes. Going to the Holy Land. So far, so good. wowing everyone, including the Pope in Italy. Yeah. So... Wonderful man. We're not sure about that, though, because we don't know how bad that Pope was. No, and we don't know. Apparently that was just from English sources, so people probably ah. saying. <laughs> Look at how lovely we are. <laughs> yes, we're not, we're not as bad as you think. <laughs> oh, man. In April 1462, Tip Toft became treasurer again, which was good because they were going to need some money. Okay. They couldn't have Henry VI and Margaret Anjou running about getting support from France and Scotland because they had a habit of sneaking away by sea and it was difficult to stop them since there was no standing navy. Yes, and we just start all over again. But making a navy from scratch was quite pricey, meaning that Treasurer Tiptoft needed to raise money. And Tiptoft did this with great enthusiasm, as you get the feeling he did most things with great enthusiasm. (laughs) And enthusiasm is often a good thing, except where amassing money from the people is concerned. Yeah, not the best, hey? No. Because you know you're going to take advantage of people. Oh, yeah. Also, ships were being commandeered for the protection of Calais against the French. So if you're a merchant trying to make a living, the enforced taking of your ship is going to cut into your profits a bit. Wouldn't that... Gosh, that would make you go bankrupt at that time. It's not like you kept a whole bunch of money in reserve. And I don't know whether there was compensation. You feel there had to be, really, surely. I hope so. The City of London was none too happy with him either, since they were repeatedly touched for money. Add to that the merchants and the lawyers, and you can see that he was antagonising a large swathe of the population. In 1463, Tiptoft was made Lord Steward of the Household, and this meant that he was responsible for the administration of the court. And he seems to have been a person for whom efficiency was very important. Because the briefest look at Henry VI court would have shown that it was absolutely appallingly managed. Mm. And Edward and Tiptoft were keen to avoid that. Also, Tiptoft had been in Florence and Ferrara and seen how the Medici and Deste families ran their courts. And there was an increase in just general magnificence in Edward's court. And that may well have stemmed from Tiptoft. 
Oh, saying pe people will believe that you have the right to be here if you look as if you have the right to be here. Oh, dear. Appearance is yeah. everything. Yeah. As Henry the Seventh later found out. Yes. Tiptoft was also the constable of the tower. And in this capacity, he looked after the two youngest De Vere children and a young Henry Percy, who was being held there as a hostage, depending on the good behaviour of his uncles. Mm. And for this, Tiptoft received £87, 11 shillings and sixpence. This would be Henry Percy's dad, correct? The No, that's our Henry Percy. Oh. Because he was held a hostage when he was a child. Yeah, but I'm thinking the father of Henry Percy with Anne Boleyn. Oh, grandfather, I think. Grandfather, okay. Yeah. Okay. But he's not, he's not our Henry Percy, not, not yet. yet. <laughs> yes. He will be our Henry Percy, but not now. In 1464, Tiptoft was back on the Oye and Termine circuit. He travelled the country suppressing uprisings and handing out punishments alongside the king. And he showed himself to be harsher than the Warwick what? in Gloucester. There was a feud between the people of the Shire and the people of the town. A bailiff was murdered and then several other people killed. And Warwick rode into town and, quote, with beautiful words, unquote, told them all to go home. <laughs> Which maybe was a little too lenient. <laughs> Tiptoft then arrived with the king and executed the lot of them. No. So, yeah, you don't really think of Warwick as being an old softy, really, no. do you? <laughs> On one of these OIA and termination digs, the party passed through Grafton Regis, where a certain very attractive widow called Elizabeth Grey, nay Woodville, mm. lived. Did Tiptoft know what was going on? Yes. <laughs> he was with the king much of the time during this period. And if he did, how difficult was it for him not to let on to Warwick? Because Warwick didn't know. Right. Um... I mean, it would be extraordinary if he knew nothing of what the king was up to. He must have thought, well, where's he gone? Yeah. He seemed to disappear for the night. And they wouldn't have let him disappear for the night. That wasn't something that was done. He was the king. I mean, you don't just wander off. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. In 1464, we see another reason why people didn't much like Tiptoft. It now sounds a bit trivial, but it certainly meant something at the time. There was a ceremony in London to celebrate the appointment of the new sergeants of the Coif, Coif, C-O-I-F. They were prominent lawyers, so-called because of their distinctive headgear. Oh. And in London, the mayor takes precedence above everybody except the king. Yes. So, imagine his horror when he walked into the feast to find Tiptoff sitting in his place at the high table. Oh, that's almost a fatal problem. Yeah, I mean, anybody else would have got their sword out and just run yes. through, probably. <laughs> but he was so horrified that he went home without his supper. And he took the alderman with him, and they all had a feast back at the mayor's place. Really? He went off in a sulk? He did. <laughs> well, that's how some people saw it. But, yeah, this put the officers officiating at the ceremony in a very difficult position. In some sources, this incident shows Tiptoff's arrogance, insisting on his place above the mayor. In others, it implies, as you say, that the mayor was very petty yeah. and had thrown a tantrum. Yeah. 
But the fact that this incident is recorded in several sources shows how seriously they took this stuff. And that was a lot of S's. I'm glad I hadn't got a lisp. (laughs) (laughs) They really did. Everything was based on your rank. Everything. What you could purchase, who you could speak to, everything. When we saw there was bickering at Edward IV's funeral, funeral, wasn't there? About precedence. (laughs) The most in proper time to be standing on your laurels. Yeah. Hmm. Those siding with the mesh showed how unpopular Tiptoff had become with merchants, lawyers and ship owners because they were willing to believe anything of him now, even that he'd sat in the wrong seat. Even. Even. Why isn't that? Even that he murdered 53 people. <laughs> no. Even he sat in my chair. He sat in his chair. <sighs> I mean, you, you can't just let these things go. I know, but it sounds so, so petty. It really does. And there was gossip. He hadn't been married for a decade or so. That was a bit weird. Yeah. He'd lived in Venice, and we all know what goes on there. Oh, yes. No, sorry, I'm going to rephrase that. And we all know what went on there. <laughs> <laughs> not, not current tense. He was a humanist of the Italian variety not the English variety, which concentrated on civic duty. Rather, he liked that wacky stuff about Plato and Lucretius and Ovid. I mean, that that doesn't seem right. right. We aren't at the point where somebody defended that point of view yet. Henry VIII hasn't defended it when Bishop Fox put it into his school. No, I mean, we're pre-Erasmus, yes. pre-Thomas More. Oh, jeez. Now, does that make him more intelligent because he anticipated where the world was going or just an eccentric? I think because he'd lived in Italy for those years, I, I think he was just drawn to that sort of thinking, yes. really. Quite possibly he'd met Picard and Amarandola and Ficino and all the crazy bunch that <laughs> hung around the Medici. <laughs> yeah. The people who had all those ideas that we couldn't make head and no. of in the Patreon episode. Patreon. (laughs) Tudoriferous Patreon. It's hot, hot, hot. Tiptoff's skill as a diplomat had been put to good use in Burgundy, Scotland and Brittany. In 1462, he'd been appointed Lord High Chancellor of Ireland, which was probably just an empty title. I doubt he was expected to do anything. Edward IV needed him by him for all those OIN Terminate commissions. However, by 1464, the king was worried about the Irish situation and planned to send him over there to sort things out. Sending Tiptoft to Ireland. Sending Tiptoft to Ireland, So let's send the butcher to Ireland. Don't worry, nothing can go wrong. Oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) Well, on this occasion, there was a lack of communication and the Earl of Kildare was also made Chancellor. And Edward sensibly decided that discretion was the better part of valour and left Kildare to it. On a lighter note, it was Tiptoft who sent Antoine, the great bastard of Burgundy, and isn't that a wonderful title? (laughs) (laughs) The challenge from Edward Woodville, Lord Scales, the toothless one, an invitation to a jousting tournament, which was to be the chivalric event of the decade. Right. People were talking about it for years. And two years later, when the event finally took place, it was Tiptoft who wrote the set of rules by which it should be fought. Really? 
So it all goes to show how diverse Tiptoff's job description was. I don't think he has a job description. Just do everything. Yes, just like everybody else. <sighs> yeah. So weird. Except he actually seems to be good at everything. Yeah, which He's is... a bit too good in some things. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, he does, he's good at everything in that he does what is required hmm. of him. Hmm. In 1465, we've been here before, Tiptoft was seated at the high table for the inauguration of George Neville as Archbishop of York. And not only do we know this event for the massive amount of food that was served, but also because Tiptoft was sitting next to John de Vere, yes. whose father and brother he had sentenced to execution yes. just three years before. Oh. And this is where orders of precedence are a bad thing. But they had both been married to Neville's sisters, so maybe they had something to talk about. I don't know. Which one? Yeah. Never mind. <laughs> And a little awkward anyway. Yes, a little. Just a little. Gosh, how could you... I would refuse to come. I'd refuse... I'm not sure that is an option. No, it really, isn't. Is it? I'm just trying to think no. of any way you could have avoided that situation. Maybe even, you know what? I'm going to move somebody up in precedence today just so I don't have to do it. And I'm going to say it's an honor for that person because they did something yeah. good for me. I'm going to give up my earldom for the day. Yes. Anything. Anything. Or it's a perfect place to sit if you want to slip poison to him. Yeah, now why didn't he think of that? I don't know, because he's not a woman. Women poisoned back then, apparently. <laughs> Women and Borgias, that's all. <laughs> yes. Yeah, equally awkward. In October 1465, Henry VI was captured and brought to the Tower. And who is the constable <laughs> of the Tower? <laughs> Hi, Tip Taft. He, well, he is now Tiptoft's prisoner, which is, must have been very awkward. He had started Tiptoft off on his career as a yeah. politician and diplomat. <laughs> they travelled together. They must have known each other well. About Attended executions together. I mean, that must bring you together quite well. I but thought. would it have been awkward for Tiptoft or Henry VI? Because we do have some indication that at this point, Henry VI was not all there. Would he have had a full understanding of what was going on at this point? Because isn't this the one where he was found sitting, giggling under a tree? Yeah, Tip Top might have been more or less looking after him, I suppose. Yes, maybe more as a... that would that would make both of them feel better, I suppose. Yeah, at least Tip Top, if he has any sense of feeling whatsoever, could treat him well and ensure he was treated well. Whereas Henry might not have been aware of anything that was going on. Yeah. Hmm. Well, at least he wouldn't have realised he was a prisoner in the Tower, hopefully. In 1466, Tiptoff became a soldier, and it may have been because he felt it was something that needed doing, but also he may have wanted to get away from the court. We're reaching that point in history when Warwick and George Duke of Clarence decided to turn on Edward. Tiptoff had been close to both parties, so which way should he go? <laughs> Maybe... Becoming a soldier was a sort of diplomatic retreat. Oh, I'll tell you in a minute. I'm just off. I, I just I'm have just something to do. Just, I'll be back in in a little minute. Just, just try and sort yourself out. So when I came back, I'm not in this difficult situation. <laughs> it all seems to be embarrassing and awkward, doesn't it? In tip top <laughs> yeah. life. His first excursion was to the Lancastrian stronghold of Harlick Castle in North Wales, and then he was off to Ireland to sort out rebels. 
in the role of deputy lieutenant. Jeez. And he was expecting to be in Ireland for so long that he sold off all his lands and offices in England. What? Why? I don't know. He must have thought that this was a job for life. It wasn't. Nothing. He must have thought it, <laughs> it must have been so awkward when he thought, oh, I've got to go home now. So I haven't got a home. I, I don't own anything. Holy. We haven't heard of that before. Yeah, what a pillock. Yes. So not only are you mean, you're stupid. <laughs> no, he was an intellectual. Uh, not that being intellectual and being clever can be entirely different things. He was hoping he yeah. wouldn't have to go back. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, he stayed in Italy. And it seems that he was sort of keeping away from things. Yeah. That might be a bit difficult. Maybe he was. he found social situations quite awkward. I would. Look at how many people on both sides you've screwed. Sorry, wrong yeah. word. Look at how many people on both sides you've messed up. The Annals of William of Worcester state, quote, The Earl, having a thousand archers at the expense of the king, crossed the sea to Ireland. On the way, he married the widow of Roger Corbett, a knight at Ludlow, sister and heir of Walter Hopton, an heir of William Lucy, a knight, unquote. So we've got the whole family tree there. So that's wedding number three. Okay. Tiptoff was in his 40s by this time. Elizabeth, as his new wife oh, was called, don't tell me she's was 13. Also in her 40s. Oh, what? Really? Yeah. We don't, I don't think we've ever come across no. that before. No, we have not. Their wedding present from the king was to be fined for marrying without permission. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, but it was only 10 marks and he waived even that. So he doesn't seem to have been too annoyed because some people were charged about up to about thousand pounds. pounds and they had to pay. I think wasn't Princess Mary and Charles Brandon. Yes. I think they had to pay a thousand yes. pounds. And a year later, the couple had a son, which was a risky business for a woman in her 40s. It's a risky business for anybody, but especially for a woman in her 40s. Mm. Yep. All successful. What? Seriously. She survived and the baby survived. Yeah. I know. Wow. I know, it's full of surprises, isn't yes. it, this story? <laughs> Tipped off, immediately got stuck in, chasing down rebels and passing okay. laws in Ireland. <laughs> we were yep. just talking about we're childbirth. Talking about we're talking about Ireland here. <laughs> <laughs> we're not talking about the marriage. <laughs> Sorry, I should have clarified that. <laughs> but historians are baffled as to why Tiptoft took it upon himself to behead the Earl of Desmond, the greatest Earl in Ireland. Um, well, because he has a bloodlust. <laughs> Desmond had been asked to come to the council and they'd lured him in with friendly words and then suddenly arrested him. That, that's against the rules. Rules. <laughs> <laughs> it's against the commonly used rules. Mm. Well, it gets worse. Neither do historians understand why Tiptoff executed two other Irish nobles, described in some sources as children. Why? And possibly Desmond's boys or foster children. Children were under the age of 12. Mm. And there's a poignant description of the execution of the boys, as one of them asked the executioner to be careful of the boil on his neck. Poor little chap. Oh. Then one of Desmond's pages was executed because he wouldn't shut up about the execution of Desmond and the boys. He's executing his own servants now. Oh, this was one of Desmond's oh. pages that was complaining and saying... Just for keeping your mouth open. Oh, dear. Yeah. 
Well, I wondered if someone got executed for complaining about the page and then going back and back. I just and keep back. going. Eventually, there's nothing left of Desmond's servants. Wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah, even in such violent times, these events were seen as truly terrible. Yes. And reports of them spread around both Ireland and England. Yes. And this is really the start of Tiptoff's reputation as the Butcher of England. Which is interesting because Poynings has a worse reputation and he didn't do any of this. Yes. Apparently, the king might have tipped Tiptoff the wink that he wanted Desmond dealt with, shall we say. Well, okay, I could see that for Desmond, but the children? His page? Yeah, that's, yeah, he might have gone a tad too far. <laughs> when Desmond had come to England, he'd told the king how shocking it was that he'd married beneath him. <gasps> to the king's face? Yeah, apparently. And Elizabeth Woodville was not very pleased with that remark. Nope. <laughs> and that, that might have signed Desmond's death warrant. But then who's more to blame? The king who decrees that someone should be executed because he's been asked to do so by his wife or the lackey who carries out the killing? Both. And now I'm thinking of wife. John the Baptist. Oh, yeah. John the Baptist mm. was killed because of a wife. Yes. Always the woman. <laughs> I think it's just a convenient <laughs> excuse. Yes. Some say the king knew nothing about this, talking about always a woman, and that Elizabeth Woodville stole the seal and forged the instructions to Tiptoft. Wow, that's really turning her into a witch, hey? That seemed one step too far to me. Yes. But it was well known at the time that Tiptoft and Desmond disliked each other intensely, so maybe that was all it took. <laughs> yeah, just a disapproving face on the queen. Oh, she wants him dead. <laughs> I didn't say so. Yeah. I didn't say so in as many words. <laughs> if Tiptoff thought executing Desmond would calm any rebellions, he was wrong. Obviously he was yes, wrong. Yes, that usually escalates everything. Yeah, executing a popular earl will never do that. No. The Fitzgeralds now rose up against Tiptoft, as did Tago Connor. And Tiptoff was now fighting several rebellions. But Tiptoff wasn't just executing people. He was a busy man. In 1469, the Irish Parliament passed 87 acts. Also, he shook up Irish coinage. If Irish coins had similar precious metal content to English ones, the coins all seemed to flow out of Ireland and into England. But if the precious metal content were lower, to try and keep the coins in Ireland, the merchants complained that they couldn't tell the lower content Irish ones from the higher, higher content ones, and they were being... Diddled. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised. Tiptoff's solution was to lower the metal content and to change the design so it would be obvious to anyone which was which. And he produced some rather beautiful coins with Edward's son in splendour on the reverse. So that should sort out the problem. Unfortunately, Ireland then suffered rampant inflation. Right. Debased the metal. It just effectively devalued the currency. Oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't think that through, did you, Mr. Treasurer? No. In 1469, Tiptoff returned to England. <laughs> to what? He's, he's told it <laughs> he's all. He's got nothing. <laughs> He'd made himself unpopular executing Desmond and causing inflation, but making yourself unpopular was pretty much part of the job remit for English deputy lieutenants in Ireland. Poynings had done it. Richard II had done it, King John had done it by pulling their beards. Richard Devereux, the Earl of Essex, had, would later do it. When you're going in to take over a country and change all their rules, you're not going to be popular. There's no way to no. be popular, I don't think. Oh, I have to take that back. George IV, he was popular in Ireland by giving somebody a cow. 
But only Richard, Duke of York, apart from your George IV, mm -hmm. seems to have remained popular in Ireland, so much so that they were happy to recognise Lambert Simnel as his son. Yes. So, although Tiptoff seems to go through life making himself unpopular, he's not alone on this occasion. <laughs> 1470, and this is where Warwick and George, Duke of Clarence, turned against Edward. And this may have been the reason why Tiptoff came back from England. Edward needed him to sort out this little problem. Edward made him constable of England again and also lieutenant of Ireland. He was deputy lieutenant last time. But this is a post that had been taken away from George, Duke of Clarence and was normally given to close family of the monarch. So Edward is obviously relying more and more on Tiptoff. Well, look at what his brothers were doing. Through a series of letters and a smattering of subterfuge, instigated, it's thought, by Tiptoft, it has his, his fingerprints all over it anyway, they managed to convince Warwick and Clarence that they had a huge army. So he's using propaganda rather than actually having a huge army. And so unnerved Warwick and Clarence by this, that they fled to Calais. So it worked. Yeah, it worked. And it also cut off any support they might have had, since potential supporters of Warwick decided it was too dangerous, what with Edward's huge army. Army. Hmm. And this was where it was useful to get a humanist intellectual on your team, rather than some boneheaded general who'd just go in all guns blazing. Yes. This all sounds wonderful. If only all wars could be won by the writing of letters. However, there was another tactic in this campaign. The spreading of terror. Oh, Executions were used as a weapon. Don't start anything or this could be you. And the instigator of this was, it's thought, Tiptoft. He's got to say it's Tiptoft. It's, it sounds it's like a sweet name. name. He sounds cuddly. Head off would be a bit better, more appropriate. <laughs> <Awkward>. <laughs> On to Southampton and a quote from the chronicler Walkworth. Quote, And after this... The King Edward came to Southampton and commanded the Earl of Worcester to sit and judge such men as were taken in the ships. I think that's ships, S-C-H-Y-P-P-E-S. And so 20 persons of gentlemen and yeomen were hanged, drawn and quartered and headed. Oh, my goodness. And after that, they hanged up by their leggies and a stake made sharp at both ends, whereof one end was put in at the buttocks and the other end their heads were put up on. Oh. For which the people of the land were greatly displeased. Yeah. And ever afterwards said the Earl of Worcester was greatly behated among the people, and the disordinate death that he used, contrary to the law of the land, unquote. And this incident gave Tiptoff the name of the Butcher of England. Yes. Well deserved. Because in England... We just, we just don't impale people. No, but everything else was okay. <laughs> well, that's it. They're already dead at this point. They, we've just been told they've been hanged, drawn and quartered beforehand, and people seem fine with that. <laughs> but, but at least it's English, I suppose. No, no. Uh, talking about Dracula. But if they had been quartered, how could their bodies have been impaled? <laughs> the impaling seems definite, because that comes from several sources. So I'm assuming they weren't actually hanged or on a quarter. They must have just been hanged. Maybe drawn. And then impaled. Yeah. But you can't chop people into four bits and then... You then could shuff. if you just took the legs and arms off. Say you had a torso. Isn't this a horrific discussion? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then the 
spike actually came comes through the neck and then they balance the head yeah, on the top like like funny little puppets Ugh. i mean the whole thing is to humiliate the dead body yes mm. it's not nice no <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad you clarified that i thought it was a jaunty day in spring hey <laughs> where are the flowers <laughs> Uh, it does. It seems that we're not the only ones to think it wasn't nice. People thought, "What? What the hell? What are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing?" Yeah, Leyland wrote, "Quote." He's another chronicler. There is. <laughs> I always do that. Leyland said, and he's another chronicler. Quote. Let's put the quote in the right place. <laughs> there is savagery to the guilty who, after death, were thrust through with sharpened stakes upward from the rear, raised up to the winds, as an example of vice but a doleful sight, and as the common people openly said, cruel and unmerited. The Earl should have had the courage to be merciful. I know this mark to be later fatal to him, unquote. Because people weren't going to forget this in a hurry. Yeah. When he falls, he falls, he falls bigly. Bigly. <laughs> it seems certain that the impaling was Tiptoff's idea, and it must surely have been based on the impaling of the Turks that he'd witnessed on the pilgrimage to the Holy Land when he stopped at Rhodes and saw 250 Turks impaled. But, no, to his credit, he did kill them first, which is more than the Christian... How can you say to his credit? Because being hung, drawn and quartered is not any better. <laughs> nah. I don't know. Being impaled, I mean, that's... Slow. But, the, yeah, the Christian knights of Rhodes didn't kill him first did they mm. so to his credit he did kill him <laughs> first <laughs> there is no credit there Tiptoff was being talked about and not in a good way that time when he was on the OEA and Terminate Commission and he'd used Paduan law instead of good wholesome English law and there was talk about him executing children in Ireland and now this he's a psychopath <sighs> but Edward liked him and in fact Edward didn't seem to be able to do without him and made him treasurer yet again. So he's a charismatic psychopath. I think he must have been very charismatic, yeah. For doing all that and still being successful in a political life, yeah. Mm, not all charismatic people are, are good. Nice people. True. Yeah. In fact, quite a lot of the most charismatic <laughs> are not <laughs> really horrendous. Yes. I mean, you look at someone like Hitler and or Mussolini, and you True. think, but they just, they look so foolish, but there must have been something about them. Yes. On September the 4th, 1470, Warwick landed on the south coast, along with George, Duke of Clarence, John de Vere, and Jasper Tudor. And apparently people flocked to them. And was that because they loved Warwick, Henry VI, and Margaret of Anjou? It seems unlikely. It's more likely that they came to hate Edward IV and his evil sidekick, John Tiptoft. To cut a long story short, a meeting in Doncaster with the king and his advisers advised the king to get out of the country. Run! <laughs> that was the advice. <laughs> <laughs> this he did with most of his close aides, but not Tiptoft. Tiptoft went to London. Why? Well, that must have surely been a very dangerous decision. Yes. Someone would have to warn the queen to get her and the kids into sanctuary before Warwick arrived. Oh. Did Tiptoft volunteer for that? Or was there some other reason? He could have gone there to get money for Edward's exile. Okay. That sounds more like his kind of thing. Hmm. He may have been intending to take it to him in Burgundy. 
and they obviously meant to get out of the country at some point. Warwick and Clarence entered London and, accompanied by John de Vere and one of the Stanleys, probably Thomas, brought Henry VI from his cell. On the 9th of October, Tiptoft was discovered and arrested. He had given money to a shepherd to buy bread and the man went to his usual shop, but the shopkeeper became suspicious because the shepherd was buying more bread than usual. Ah. It always seems to be something really trivial, yes. doesn't it? There's another one where it was the... King Richard? Was that the one where he sent his page or something to go and buy something, but he gave him his gloves because yes. it was cold? Yeah, and it was really fine gloves. Yeah. The shopkeeper told the soldiers who were milling around looking for Tiptoft and they found him hiding in a tree. <laughs> They're always in a tree. <laughs> Never hide in a tree. That's the first place yes. to look. <laughs> when he was brought to London, the populace shouted that he must die because, according to one chronicler, Tiptoft had brought in Italian laws. Oh, not the impaling. It just seems an unlikely reason for the populace to call yes. for a man's death. There are so many other reasons. Far more likely they were thinking of the impaling in Southampton. But it was a bit difficult to decide what to do with him since he was the constable of the tower. Ooh. On the 12th of October, John Paston wrote, quote, The Earl of Worcester is like to die this day or tomorrow at the furthest. Unquote. In fact, he didn't. So there seems to have been some discussion as to what to do with him. Oh. And it was decided that he should have a proper trial, which makes a nice change. Yes. We're going to follow judicial procedure? Really? Yeah, apparently. The following day, Henry VI was crowned again, and Tiptoff's trial was arranged for the following Saturday, which didn't give much time to gather evidence, but I don't think that was very important, really, was it? I'm surprised they even bothered to find evidence. It could have been just, you are guilty, and that could have been the trial. We've seen that before. <laughs> I should imagine, yeah, it is. That was almost certainly what happened. Tiptoft was, however, accorded a trial and executed not only without any degradation, but with all honour possible. Really? Yeah. I don't think he deserves it. It either means he was still seen as an exceptional man or that Warwick didn't want to be seen to drag him, dragging himself down to Tiptoft's level. Presiding over Tiptoft's trial was John de Vere, <laughs> whose father and brother had been condemned by Tiptoft all those years ago. Well, actually, not that many years ago. And this may be seen as revenge, but de Vere presided over many trials, including yes. Edward Plantagenet's. Yes. It would have been a bit awkward for Warwick to use Tiptoff's betrayal of Henry VI as a reason for his execution, since he himself had, hadn't been always on his side. The Chronicle of London said, quote, and upon the Saturday following was the Earl of Worcester, reigned at Westminster in the White Hall, and there indicted for treason. Well, he did also. He was the prison keeper of Henry VI. That's true. That is pretty treasonous. Because <laughs> there's so much. <laughs> you were the one keeping the king close confined. <laughs> he was looking after him when he wasn't very well. Yes. And upon the Monday following, a judge to go from thence upon his feet unto the Tower Hill, and there to be headed. So he's actually walking there. He's not being dragged on a hurdle. So that's one of the reasons why they say he had an honourable death rather than adding insult to what's going to be a really unpleasant injury. Yes. As he was coming from Westminster towards his execution, the people pressed so fast about him that the officers were fain to turn into the fleet, the fleet prison, with him. And there he rested that night till upon the Tuesday at afternoon, which was St Luke's Day and the 18th day of October, 
He was brought through the city, and so to the tower hill upon his feet, and there beheaded, upon whose soul and all Christians, Jesus you have mercy. Amen. Unquote. He met his death in a shirt and open laced shoes. Quote, now it was time to cut off the head. Master John turned to the executioner and requested he cut off his head in three blows in reverence to the most holy trinity. What? Although it could be cut off in one. And this was a sign of the greatest faith and spirit, unquote. Really? Hmm. Really? Just talked to Margaret Pohl about watched executions. <laughs> she got up and ran. <laughs> I mean, he was probably hoping that he wouldn't go for the three blows one. But yes, mm. yeah, I suppose it's quite easy to say, please do it in three. Mm. William Caxton said of Tiptoft, quote, the axe that at one blow cut off more learning than was left in the heads of all the surviving nobility, unquote. So did it cut off, get cut off in one blow? Well, Caxton said so, but he was, make, he was just making a point yeah. that yeah. Tiptoft was cleverer than all the people that were left. <laughs> We'd lost a great intellectual um, when we chopped his head off. Still worth it. Sorry, that is a mean, evil man. His body and head were buried together at Blackfriars with all the honour and worship in that the head was not put on a spike. Jeez. And he didn't have a pole shoved up his backside. No, so, he did not. You know, he's, he's done pretty well for himself. <laughs> and that's the story of Sir John Tiptoft, who could have been remembered as a great squalor. Squalor. <laughs> he is remembered as a great squalor, but he could have been remembered as a great scholar and humanist, but instead is remembered as the Butcher of England. Yes. That was not a comfortable story. <laughs> no, no, they really are. Especially these cameo episodes. <laughs> they seem to get darker and darker. We need to do a fun cameo. I wonder if we can find any information on the fool of Henry VII. I couldn't find anything. Oh. No, I have looked. Oh. No. Okay. Pity. Yeah. Mm. And if, if we did, he'd probably die horribly. Yes, and quite often the fools at the time were mentally deficient. So it might have been a sad story instead. Instead of brutal, like this one. And we're not raiding him. No, we're not. But I think he should go because to the gallows. he died too early. When he's gone. Yes. <laughs> too late for that. <laughs> Thank you for listening, yes. and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.